Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. This is a special episode for a special series we're launching to celebrate our one-year anniversary as a show. Happy anniversary. Yeah, you too. For the next six episodes, including this one, we're focused on women behaving boldly. Call them superwomen. Or bad bitches. Whatever name, we are looking at six women whose albums pushed the proverbial envelope. Pissed people off. Created a scandal. And helped redefine what it meant to be a woman in rock, soul, rap, and pop. You get the idea. To kick off this series and to celebrate our anniversary, it's just Morgan and I, and we are here to talk about Caught Up, The Bold. And Bad, 1974 album by Millie Jackson. You played around with all the girls in town like it was nothing to all the time I played dumb and blind. Don't judge a book by its cover? Cool. But an album's gotta be fair game, and the cover of Millie Jackson's caught up is at the very least legitimately on brand filed under oh what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive this 1974 grammy nominated album is 13 tracks of rigorous explicit honesty which in today's social media currency could be interpreted as a relationship status you know it's super complicated to a thread one which starts out with a bold declaration about love and infidelity to the aftermath a final and permanent real estate decision Caught Up was her fourth album in two years. After her self-titled debut, Hurt So Good, and my personal favorite, I Got to Try It One Time. But this album is the one that solidified her status as an OG, the one where she picked up a slew of new adjectives, raunchy, controversial, scandalous, and yes, bold, and the one where she was thrust to the top of a heap of household names, Betty, Barbara, Shirley, Denise, who became household names. Caught Up is absolutely a heat rock. The artist behind it, an icon. And just so we're clear, no, her first name ain't Baby. It's Millie. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. So hard coming back. Morgan, when we sat down to talk about this theme of women behaving boldly, one of the first artists that you brought up was Millie Jackson. Why? Uh Well, uh, bold is a great term for Millie Jackson, her persona, her style of music. The first thing that comes to mind is that she challenged the status quo, Mm. that she challenged the notion of what female singers could be talking about could be expressing. She was sort of the antithesis to Gladys Knight and Aretha Franklin. She wasn't a woman behaving quietly. She was out there. Mm -hmm. I liked that she embodied a voice that we didn't hear a lot of, the other woman. And instead of making it super sexually explicit, it was almost like her songs were called together to give the other woman some empathy and I like that because we don't typically have empathy for jump offs or for lack of a better word. 
Um, I also liked that her songs were so long. And I thought the conversational part of her songs was the part of the song that made her most relatable. Yeah, it's the like, rap. Yeah. Girl, sit down. Let me talk to you about what's going on. Right. Be right. it the wife or just a neighbor. And I thought that was bold for the time. I thought it set her apart, The some of the profanity on, on wax yeah. we hadn't heard from women before. Right. And uh, she's a definite trendsetter to me. So she had to be put in this category, certainly, of bad bitches. Yeah. No Millie Jackson to me, none of the other names that I mentioned in the intro, and I think we go from her um, to late, years later, Little Kim, and to present day, uh, Rihanna. When I listen to Anti, mm. um, I hear Millie Jackson's influence. Baby, don't get it twisted. You was just another nigga on the hit list. Trying to fix any issues with a bad bitch. Didn't they tell you that I was a savage? Fuck your white horse and a carriage. Yeah, we will definitely come back to some of those themes that you just named. I just want to come back to how each of us first heard Millie. And I know for me, I don't think she was on my radar at all until the early 90s when Black Sheep sampled her Fuck You Symphony from 1979. <laughs> and I'm not even going to play the Black Sheep. We should just go to the OG source. Yes. And this was on her Live and Uncensored album from 79, by which time Millie had just fully embraced the role of you know, R&B villainous, if you want. Yeah. And this, to me, is just one of the great disco tracks that most people don't spend enough time talking about, probably because he can't play it anywhere except for maybe in your home or on the car. Yo. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> flames, flames. What's dope about that, too, is that in the intro to that, she sort of calls out, because the Pointer Sisters are in the audience, mm. and she says... <laughs> See, they ain't fooling nobody. I know they be talking that same old shit I be talking. They just clean it up. You know. But you got a chick on the side. You should have now. I know you got a chick on the side. You know. See, y'all won't let me do no shit like that. I have to be saying... Bet you got a chick on the side, God damn it! I know you got a chick on the side. <laughs> side to put a little cursing in my shit and y'all won't even buy it. You know, she makes the distinction between her and them. Yeah. I also want to shout out um, a homegirl, um, Tamala, that turned me on to this track because I hadn't heard it before. She said she and her brother used to listen to it, and I ended up uh, <laughs> placing it on this season of Dear White People. Uh, so shout out to uh, to Tamala for turning me on to this and to Millie Jackson for making a perfect placement in, uh, in, in this season of Dear White People. Hold up. You used the Fuck You Symphony. I did. In the upcoming season of Dear White People. I did. I did. There's a. <laughs> I had no idea. I just picked it because it was my introduction. I had no idea that you actually managed to get this place. <laughs> I did. I did. And it's a quick snippet where uh, the main character, Sam, who's a radio DJ, she wants to say something to her trolls. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what she says. <laughs> She's like, and to, to those of you that blah, 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 she presses the button. And it's this. All right. So the Fuck You Symphony was my introduction to Millie. How did you get introduced to her and in particular the album Caught Up? We used to go, uh, I spent a summer in, uh, a couple of summers in Waco, Texas with my grandmother. And everyone has an aunt, or if you grew up in the church, you have an aunt that, you know, loves the Lord but doesn't spend any time with him. (laughs) And uh, that aunt in particular, we used to love to hang out with because she used to play the hits. And the first song I heard her play is, If Loving You Is Wrong, Mm -hmm. I Don't Want to Be Right. Mm -hmm. And I was little and didn't really understand it. But 
I had the sense that it was a jam. So that was my introduction mm-hmm. to this album. I was too young to know the words. I just thought it was a beautiful song. Yeah. And that was my introduction to uh, Millie Jackson. Later, it was uh, All the Way Lover, mm-hmm. which was something else that we really couldn't play. <laughs> there ain't nothing left to do. But I just, I had never heard this style of singing before, um, this sort of conversational. I just, I just didn't know this type of music. And so that was my introduction. So I don't want to get too deep inside of you and your, your family politics here, but we have spoken many a time on this show about what albums would be let inside the house. So I have to imagine that Millie Jackson would have been at minimum on the fine line about stuff that your, your mom would have been into. Though I'm, I'm also kind of wondering if this was the type of album that she might have been bumping when you were out of the room just to you know have it to herself. She might have been. But when I go back through her collection because she's got her albums in the living room, I don't see this there. Uh, now, her sister, my Aunt Jean, rest in peace, she played a few of these albums. Mm. She played Betty Wright. We can talk about Betty Wright yeah. later. Um, she played Johnny Guitar Watson. And as I've said many times before, when those albums came out, that meant the kids had to go downstairs. <laughs> it was a time when kids couldn't listen to the same music as their parents. And uh, that's another reason why I chose Millie Jackson. She reminded me of that time. Nice. We've been talking so far about how Millie compares to other artists of her era and how she stands out. You want to run us through some of the other folks you would have heard around 74 and and where Millie fits into that? Sure. you got Aretha Franklin, Until You Come Back to Me. That's what I'm going to do. You've got Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. You've got The Love, That's Rags to Riches, of course. Dionne Warwick, Then Came You. Um, The only thing that comes close to this is Shirley Shirley Brown, who had Woman to Woman. Mm -hmm. But by comparison, that seems tame compared to what Millie Jackson is out here talking about. Yeah. So it's easy to understand just the splash that she made, good and bad, uh, in that sense. I think one of the other anecdotes about this album is it might have been in the rap. It was certainly somewhere in that 11-minute version of (laughs) If Loving You Is Wrong, where she talks about how one of the benefits of being the other woman is that you can go to the laundromat and just have to wash your own funky drawers and not to worry (laughs) about anyone else's. But the sweetest thing about the whole situation is... The fact that when you go to the laundromat, you don't have to wash nobody's funky drawers but your own. And I like it like that. And apparently because she used the phrase funky drawers on the song, people would protest the radio station for playing this as being profane, which... Again, you just have to imagine going back to that era and the, the, the cultural politics of that and how black people are being represented and representing themselves that where that controversy could come in. Absolutely. And um, I mean, this is still a, a churchy time. Yeah. And to be, you know, that explicit on wax um, when most women were had all come from the church really set her apart because all the singers then came from the church. And so for her to have come from a very southern place and to and to have these sort of lyrics. I mean, she in other songs she talks about the church, but she talks about the church as something different, like from the from the life that she grew up with mm-hmm. and, and and from who she is. Um, my favorite song on uh, I got to try it one time is a song called Gospel Truth. Mm. You had a church going family. But unfortunately, I was looked upon a scene. Oh, because I was taught to believe differently. 
those things that she saw created Millie Jackson. Let's come back to the themes on the album and part of what made Millie Jackson, Millie Jackson, especially coming out of this. We've been talking about the title track, her cover of, I think it was what Luther Ingram did the original, If Loving You Is Wrong, Uh, I Don't Want to Be Right. And as you alluded to earlier, this is her talking from the perspective of the other woman and doing so through this really engrossing storytelling model, which of course, was very much part of a lot of early 70s R&B. There's a lot of Isaac Hayes that's clearly being influenced uh, uh, on here. But to your point earlier, Morgan, you just didn't hear someone embody this person who is cheating on you know this married couple, right? And it really comes together on the middle portion of this, which is it's labeled as the rap because this is where she's speaking to the audience. So when a man came in, J1, I was right there waiting on him to tell him all them sweet things I know his wife hadn't told him over the holidays. And you can think of a whole lot of good stuff to tell a nigga when you're by yourself. So the minute my man came in the door, J1... This seems kind of tame by 2018 standards, sure. given where we've gotten. But in 74, this was like setting off a little bit of a bomb on radio, right? Absolutely setting off a bomb. Number one, this song is long as hell. (laughs) Okay? So the songs that were being played on the radio weren't as long. Number two, if you hear that clip, she's dropping the Mm N-word. And no one was saying that in R&B then, and certainly not women. Yeah. And also... It sounds different coming from a woman. This whole, the whole song sounds different. She's, you know, she's a Southern belle. She's a Georgia peach and Southern bells are supposed to be sweet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Millie's not. She's not on this song. She's not on this album. And, um, and I love the fact that she calls everybody. Embodying the other woman also means calling everybody on their BS too. Mm. She's calling the man, always calling the man on his failures. Yes. The other woman for not holding up her end of the deal. That's that's why Millie Jackson is there. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's it's a equal opportunity blame and shame in uh, in Millie Jackson's songs, especially this one. We realized before we started taping that we both found the same quote that she gave to Atlanta Magazine four years ago for the my God the 40th anniversary of this album, right? And she said, "quote These were conversations that women had with each other at the laundromat." You didn't hear them on records. You especially didn't hear them on the radio, which is to the point that we've been talking about here. And what really strikes me, and you mo- you mentioned this earlier, is you compare her to someone like Gladys Knight, who she sounds a lot alike, a lot alike vocally. This is certainly the era in which Aretha Franklin is still the queen of soul. And the cultural politics of R&B and soul music coming out of the late 60s and the early 70s with Black Power, Black is Beautiful – A lot of it is what we now might look back on and describe as respectability politics, right? It's being black and it's being proud. And it's about not airing your dirty laundry in public. And Caught Up is just a whole album of just – it's a clothesline of dirty laundry that's out there for people to see on that that web, right? That's just what it is. It is very black too. You just don't talk about your business. And so I think that's why the conversations were had in the laundromat, because you weren't at liberty to say that. Yeah. You also weren't at liberty to identify yourself as the other woman. There's a song on here, All I Want is a Fighting Chance, yeah. where I love where she runs up on the wife. And she's like, that looks like Miss Judy across the street. <laughs> and then she up. runs up on Miss Judy, bold. Wait a minute. Ain't that Mrs. Judy over there? Mrs. Judy! Yes. You know, 
I'm like an old relative of yours. I know you don't know me, but since I've been going with your husband for the last past year and a half, going with my husband? that was sort of like make us wife and laws. You know what I mean? Make us wives in law. <laughs> She's talking sister wives before that term, you know, entered into the pop culture conversation. And if you know, if you notice the difference in the in their the tone of their voices, I think that illustrates the boldness of Millie Jackson. Yeah, she identifies her from across the street. And, she runs up on her, yeah. and Mrs. Judy is like, "Yes, I'm Mrs. Judy." <laughs> Like, she's the one with the secret, yeah. right? Millie Jackson is, meanwhile, like, here's this thing we have in common. Whatever you want to call me, we are both sleeping with the same man. And I've coined this relationship term, yeah. wives-in-law. <laughs> I was so gully. And the rest of the song is, the, as you mentioned, the title is All I Want is a Fighting Chance, which right. is to say that basically she's stepping to this this woman whose husband she's been having this affair with for the past year and a half and saying... I want a fighting chance to claim his heart, and I'm just going to let you know because I'm going to be above board about it, but this is how it's going to go down. Right, but still having the respect to call her Miss Judy. If this was 2018, <laughs> she would have been called something else. <laughs> we know. For folks who haven't listened to this album before, though, what Millie does, and this is, I think, what makes it so fascinating, and I don't know if people oftentimes describe this as a concept album, but I think it very much is one because... She has scripted out all of these different roles. So there's Millie representing this fictional Millie Jackson who's having this affair. But then she turns around for a few songs in a row and she's singing as the wife, wife. including, uh, I think, on It's All Over But the Shouting, which is where she confronts her husband after she gets run up on uh, in the street. There's something very operatic, not the sound of it, but operatic in terms of the structure of this album, which is it's taking you through the story. So people who think, you know, R. Kelly with coming out of the closet was was somehow original. I mean, no, he is walking on the shoulders of these giants who have done this before. Absolutely. And I think what's cool about Millie is she does it so melodically. I mean, if this was a hip hop album, it would be a skit. It would be a bunch of skits. She begins, either begins singing or stops dead in the middle so that you don't get caught in the melody and goes right to the situation. And to your point, I think this absolutely is a concept album. This starts out with boom. If loving you is wrong. Yeah. Damn it. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be right. And by the time you get to the end, it's like house for sale. (laughs) The only thing that's missing is she needed to have done a song or maybe she would have had to invite on Isaac Hayes or someone to play the husband because we, we need his side of the story we do <laughs> we do how you feeling about <laughs> being exposed in the street when you think about how soul music then shifted over the course of the 70s i think millie's influence it, it's twofold on the one hand it i think does change some of the discourse it helps along with other artists betty davis coming up to mind as well sure. it creates a space for black women and their sexuality to take the forefront in a way that doesn't have to be hidden. On the flip side, as we've been talking about, there is no comparison to Millie, at least not in the 1970s. It's really hard for me to think of who else even remotely came close. 
and not really even just the 70s, throughout her career, I think people out there who have ever seen a, a listicle of worst album covers would have come across in 1989, Millie Jackson one, where she is sitting on a toilet. <laughs> Back to the shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, she is literally putting it out there, all all of it out there. I mean, Barbara Mason had a track called I Am Your Woman. You obviously have Betty Wright, Tonight is the Night, and the live version. She talks yeah. about, you know, getting it on with this person. Yeah. Millie Jackson is still in a class by herself, and it's because of what you said about her being able to embody all these sides. That there was a part where what people were calling raunchy, where I thought was very sensual. Love came up in all these conversations. Yes, yes. It wasn't just sex. No, right. And there's a maturity that she's stepping from one grown woman to another grown woman. Mature enough to be able to admit we are we are in a relationship. I'm not just sleeping with him. Yeah. We're in a relationship. Big part of this is the music of the album. So Ben Shapiro, who she had worked with on mm. a couple of her previous ones, does to me his best Isaac Hayes impression in terms of the lushness of the orchestration. They all went down to Muscle Shoals to work with the Muscle Shoals players. And so that really deep soul Southern R&B is really at the heart. Southern blues style is really at the heart of this as well. And I think that is fundamental in how she's able to make this message and have it carry through. In a lot of ways, going back to what you're saying, when you were first heard it, you just you just thought it sounded good because it did sound good. Yeah. You, didn't, you didn't have to even really listen that closely about right. the content. Right. Was the whole album made at Muscle Shoals? I believe so. Wow. But but I think the fact that it, the musicality of the album makes the message more palatable. And so it slips up on you. Some, t- some songs you're halfway in before you're like, what did she just say? But I love that part that she, and she wasn't a, uh, the biggest fan of her voice. But I think Millie Jackson's voice is on point. It certainly was different. Hmm. Um and not weathered or gravelly. It was just appropriate. It was it was it was just appropriate. Southern, cool, and different. With gravitas, I mean, her comparison was oftentimes as we've been talking was about was like Gladys. They both had that deep, resonant, rich voice. That you know, it wasn't one of those high head voice type ones. And she wasn't a belter in the same way that Aretha in that school was either. Hers was, and, and I don't mean to keep invoking Isaac Hayes, but you think about. The vocal qualities of, of Hayes in terms of that incredible baritone, I think Millie has that same quality, which just gives what she has to say a kind of weight that may not be the case if she was really high-pitched in the way that a lot of other singers were. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And although um, there are similarities between her and Gladys, you think about a song like Neither One of Us and where that comes from from Gladys yeah. and something like I'm Tired of Hiding. you at home it's gotta be some changes made right now in your life you gotta make up your mind it's either me or your wife as hard as she is singing and as true as those lyrics are for her i think there's a place a reservoir that millie could draw from that other singers weren't able to and that's a place of honesty. And that's, that's, uh, that's the other part of Millie being bold, that she drew from somewhere that I don't think, even if other singers had that place, they weren't able to go there. 
Their labels weren't letting them go there. Their image wasn't letting them go there. And Millie took the bullet. I think the fact that this was not her first album and that she'd already proven on, what, three previous LPs that she could be commercially viable, I think that probably freed her up to be able to do this in a way that if if she'd come out of nowhere and taken this to... She was in a different label before this. I think this was on Spring Records, which might have been a subsidiary of Stax. Don't quote me on that. But it's because she had clout by this point. And I think, again, if she'd come in from out of nowhere, someone would listen to it and this been like, no way are sure. we going to take a chance on this. Sure. I, I would love to know what radio stations were playing her. And WBLS I, yeah. in New York. Yeah. They broke her. They broke the record. They what? broke. Yeah, they were the first one. I think it was it might have been Frankie Crocker. I was reading this online, and he had heard the acetate of "If Loving You Is Wrong" mm. because he was in, he was a powerful, influential DJ sure. at the time, and they just want to get his opinion on it. And he liked it so much, he took the acetate, which was the only version of the song that physically existed, right? Because an acetate is basically like a test pressing. He took it with him to the station at WBLS and just started playing it. And so he helped to really break the record because he was like, this, this is a heat rock. I don't think he literally said that. But sure. Figuratively. But, but, the, <laughs> but that's what his thinking was. And what a long song to break on the radio. What, what to you was the fire track off of this? The rap. Oh, just just the rap the portion. Rap. Okay, yeah. why? It's straight, no chaser, no holds barred. It goes right into the heart of the album. It's not cryptic. And I don't think it's my favorite track, but I think it's fire. And I like it. Because you see, when you're going with a married man, Come over two or three times and we can give you a little bit. That means you're two up on the wife already, because once you marry one, you don't get it but once a week. Sage wisdom. Truth bombs <laughs> just all over this place. If you're married, you know you're only getting it once a week. Wow. I love it. <laughs> it is so on brand with what we're saying about being bold. Um, it's wise. It's sexy. I love the feel of the song. I love the tone. I love the tempo. To me, just the music of it is soundtrack ready. Um, And like I said, it's not my favorite one on the album, but I think it's fire. This, of course, raises the question then, what is your favorite then? If Loving You Is Wrong. But isn't the rap, I mean, it's part of the same song. It's just the middle portion of it. It is the middle portion, but I love how the song starts out. Got it. I do like Tired of Hiding, though. That I don't know if that would be the fire track, only because it is buried in the middle of the album. It's track, I think, what, A4, A5, sure. so it's dead center. But thematically, this is the song that haunts me. So I guess for me, it would be my sleeper jam. Okay. Because she's going back to this man that she's been sleeping oh, with yeah. and saying, you have to choose. And the we keep using the word bold. I, you know, we're, we're being a little bit on brand for, sure. with ourselves, but, sure. it's, but that's what it is. Like it she is. basically says, you need to choose because I'm tired of being your dirty little secret. I'm tired of hiding, tired of those second class places, I'm tired mm. of hiding from old familiar faces. I got to know right now. And the production on this too. And Fuego. I mean, man, there's hits on here. I'm glad we chose this one. <laughs> you chose it, so yes. 
Yo, I'm glad you chose this. Th- there's hits on here. I like that one a lot. Yeah. We'll be right back with more of our conversation about Millie Jackson's Caught Up after a brief word from a couple of great Max Fun podcasts. Don't go anywhere. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne, and justice is within your reach. My mom refuses to take my phone calls. My boyfriend says I should take our cats with me to graduate school, but I think he should keep them. In the court of Judge John Hodgman, justice rules. My partner's board game collection is out of control. My sister won't stop stealing my clothes. I'm Judge John Hodgman. I'm tough, but fair. fair. I'll bring you justice, and I'm only a click away. Tipping. Automotive etiquette. Siblings. Roommates. If you've got a case, go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. Judge John Hodgman is tough, but fair. fair. Subscribe to the podcast today. Judge John Hodgman rules. That is all. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And together we present Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. We explain the historical significance of everyday etiquette topics, then answer your questions relating to modern life. So join us weekly on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. No RSVP required. Check out Schmanners. Manners, schmanners, get it? We are back here on Heat Rocks, kicking off our six-episode Women Behaving Boldly series with Morgan and I talking about Millie Jackson and her 1974 album, Caught Up. What I think is a recurrent theme on this album is... No shame. There's no shame in my game. This isn't remorse. This is yeah. truth to power. Yeah. This is, it is what it is. Um, now that we found love, what are we going to do with it? Even though we, I found it with somebody else's man. But now that we're out here, yeah. um, this is it. And a willingness to say that even though this is what I'm doing, it's not the best case scenario. It's tiring. Um, it's lonely. And it doesn't always have a happy ending. Yeah. And that's taking away, that's not just there's power in my sex, there's power in what I'm doing, but the dark side of being on this side, that you have to think that she's someone that wants something else from this relationship and can't get it. So being honest enough to say, this isn't actually ideal. I think you alluded to this earlier too, is that in doing this, she creates very empathetic characters. And there is, you can find this online, a 1978 interview, video interview that she gives, where she talks about how uh, fan mail, she gets all this fan mail. You seem to be saying what's on the minds of a lot of people, both men and women, and what you do. And that you are not just, in my opinion, not just a singer, but I mean, you sort of say what people are thinking about. Have you gotten responses to that? Yeah. Uh, I've been known upon different occasions as the Ann Landers of the music <laughs> industry. <laughs> Most of my mail, the majority, at least 70% of my fan mail is, Dear Millie, I'm going with a married man, what should I do? You know? <laughs> and occasionally I give advice, mm-hmm. what I would do under the certain circumstances, mm-hmm. and they appreciate it, I guess. These are topics, as, you've been, as we've been both been saying, that are not polite conversation. You're not, who are you going to talk to? If you're having an affair with someone, who can you ask for advice from? Well, you got Millie Jackson. Yeah. 
And remember, uh, she did a follow-up to this album called Still, still Caught, Caught Up. Up. Right. <laughs> so it's almost like, yo, after all was said and done, I'm still out here. But I like the fairness that this is equally balanced conversation, equally balanced criticism on this album, yeah. and able to see things from everyone's perspective, which is a call to action for us. Be able to see this from, I can see it from all sides. Maybe you should see it from all sides as well. Mm. One of the other striking songs to me on here is the one that closes the album, at least the original LP version of it, which is Summer, the first time, which is a cover of a Bobby Goldsboro hit from, I think, probably the late 60s or early 70s. And for people who don't remember Bobby Goldsboro, and you really shouldn't, he was this very, very milquetoast white singer, super creepy. A lot of his songs are about deflowering young virgins and whatnot. Mm. And this song is a song about losing your virginity, except that when Bobby sang it, he was the, the, the de-virginizer, I suppose. And now Millie's flipping it from the perspective of, I'm the one who has lost my virginity. Mm-hmm. And just having that turn, because again, if you've listened to any of Goldsboro's stuff, it is low-key predatory and creepy. And here is Millie, not only as a woman, but as a black woman, as opposed to Goldsboro as a white guy. And I think really doing this fascinating job of retuning our expectations and the weight that the song has. And I saw the sunrise. I became a woman. Do you understand that kid? One thing that this brings to mind is the fact that Millie Jackson, to me, never seemed young, and mm. she never sounds young. For someone, she never comes uh, across as young. Yeah, she's always a woman, a woman in charge, a woman that's got a story to tell. Mm. The other woman, mm. she's never young. So, if this is about her losing her virginity, it's like, well, when did, were you thirty-five when you <laughs> lost it? Well, she does say it was ten years ago. So, at, which is to your point, is that she's singing from a point of experience that's it not this is this was or this is my first time but this was my first time i'm reminiscing on this sure and i have the i have the benefit of the wisdom of age the benefit of the wisdom and the other song that this makes me think of is i'm through trying to prove my love to you mm-hmm. i love the blackness of it because it's not i'm done i'm through the things he doesn't say says I'm not trying to take your husband's place but if I can't help you I swear I swear I won't stand in your way tell him tell him that you're through trying to prove your love to him go on girl shout out to Bobby Womack who, <laughs> who wrote the song and we've been talking a little bit about the production not enough really because the music on this is so incredible. It is so easy just to lose yourself into any of the tracks on here because they sound so good. Yep, yep. And you always talk about sequencing. I think they flow together. The way they're yeah. the way they're sequenced, the way they're arranged on the album, I think they flow together. And I have to say again, the musicianship in the album makes the message more palatable. It mm-hmm. sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. It's so smart. And I don't know if it was purposeful or not, but it lulls you into this sort of sweetness where... Millie Jackson doesn't seem like the villain. Yeah. Millie Jackson seems like every man or, or, or every woman. Right. Like this could be you. Yeah. You could either be Miss Judy or you could. <laughs> or you could be Miss Jackson. Or you could be Miss Jackson. 
Can you imagine a contemporary artist tackling one of these songs? And if so, which artist and what song? I don't know who right now could take this on. Any of the any of the youths, I don't know, because it would be different. Mm. Uh, you know, who has the patience to do like a seven-minute song? Who could start off a song talking instead of rapping? I think the time to do this was probably the 90s and Mary J. Blige. That would have been my pick. But around the time of yeah. my life and what's the 411. Yeah. I don't know if we could do it do it now. It would certainly have to be someone older. I'm not hearing anybody under 25 do this. You know, if Beyonce had put It's All Over But The Shouting on Lemonade, Ooh. she could have just bodied Jay even harder than she bodied Jay. And started off by talking? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that actually would have worked, but it would have been fun to see. It would have been. Uh, but I think you have to have, you've said gravitas more than once, I think you have to have that. And I think you have to have the wisdom in your voice and the experience in your voice um, you know, that Millie Jackson has. We had Fredera Hadley on here, and she was talking about Anita Baker compositions. And she said that was auntie music. Yeah. And I think this is auntie music. Um, not only does Millie Jackson sound like an auntie, but the album pays homage to our aunties um, that, would have, that would be around the age mm. Millie Jackson is now. And at that time, that type of music that our aunties listened to. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to be have that auntieism in order to pull off a cover. <laughs> you know, you got to be somebody's auntie to be out here singing, uh, you know, singing these songs. Maybe that can be our next theme, series theme, is auntie, auntie music. music yeah. for sure. <laughs> for sure, for sure. For those of you who might have come across this album, especially in any of the streaming services, you would have found the a newer reissued version of the album that has a couple of bonus songs on it, including... A house, a house for Sale, which, Morgan, you talked about earlier. Yeah, House for Sale. House for Sale is the only song on the release that doesn't have a conversation or a bunch of lyrics. It's just a chorus. That couple did not make it. They <laughs> It's and there, there are no words to be said except, listen, we've decided to break up house for sale. That said, what's dope about it is there are no lyrics. There's no conversation. And it's just um, it just drives home the point that it's all over but the shouting. Millie Jackson caught up right on time ahead of its time or timeless. This one's tough, actually. It is. Yeah. I think it's right on time. Yeah. I think it's of its time, not in a bad way. But that, and this goes back to just in general, why did we want to even talk about Millie is thinking about where does she come in into this era of soul music and what is she bringing that's different and is memorable. And that interjection, that interruption, disruption, I think sure. is what makes the album very much right on time. You can certainly make an argument for it being timeless as well, because it still sounds incredible like we've been talking about. But I think that the thematics of it, which we've spent a obviously a lot of time on that to me is the right on timeness, which is, is this is a conversation that, you know, people are having, as she even says, women are having this in the laundromat. They're just not having it on the radio. Sure. But here I am. Boom. And see, that's why I think it's ahead of its time mm. because maybe we couldn't have foreseen a time in 1974 where women would be having these conversations on the radio, mm. where women taking back possession of their place in a relationship of women, you know, bragging about being the jump off and bragging about taking your man that it, this was 40 years before we were talking about this. And all the people that she, you know, helped to bring to the scene, scene through her influence, 
that this is pre-Rihanna, that this is pre-Beyonce, that this is pre-Little Kim, that this is pre-Nicki Minaj, that this is pre-Cardi B, and that those uh, women are coming of age and coming to prominence in a time where talking about this sort of stuff isn't taboo. Being risque isn't taboo. Yeah. And not being the, you know, the main woman, but the side woman is commonplace. And so in that case, I think Caught Up was ahead of its time. No, I think you, you've made a very good argument for that. Yeah. If we had to come up with three words for this album, what would they be? I'm going to go with salacious. I'm going to go with daring. And I'm going to go with creative. I'm going to go with truth to power. Mm. Yours is more clever than mine. I <laughs> No, but yours is smart. I think that um, the strength of this album is the truth that it tells. Uh, not the story, but the truth behind the story, that it is very honest, and that I actually believe that uh, Millie Jackson was in a relationship that was taboo and felt some type of way about it. So I appreciate her truth mm. and the boldness, as we keep saying, in her truth for 1974. That will do it for this special episode, the inaugural episode for our Women Behaving Boldly series. Stay with us for the next five weeks. Should we give them a little bit of a teaser, Morgan? Absolutely. So what else can we expect to hear in the next couple weeks? That will include uh, our conversation with journalist and author Joan Morgan talking about the miseducation of Lauren Hill. And then we'll bring back our encore episode with Joy about Betty Davis. They say I'm different. I was going to say you all should keep it locked here for those next five episodes, but you should just listen to us all the time. Absolutely. But this is our special gift. This is our birthday gift to you all, which is. is to give you a nice little theme to step to. We also want to thank those of you who have been riding with us um, since our start on October the 3rd and also want to say happy anniversary to you, Oliver. It's been a, a, a real pleasure sitting down talking music with you. Yeah, same here, Morgan. I could not have asked for a better co-pilot to be working this ship with. Likewise. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself, Morgan, and Christian Duenas. Our booking manager is Shana Deloria, and today's episode was engineered and edited by Christian. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and exec producer is Jesse Thorne. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, heatrocksspod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and more goodies. Again, that's at herockspod.com. We are part of the Max Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles, where you might just see folks getting caught up in some scandalous behavior. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this first installment in our six-part Women Behaving Boldly series. Check out this teaser from episode two, where DJ Lene Denise joins us as we revisit our favorite albums by the late and great Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. I want to say I wrote this line that I feel like absolutely embodies my every thought about her, which is that Aretha's voice, Aretha's throat, in fact, is a motherland mm. for black America in particular. I think of her voice as a landing place um, and a place where through her range, we found some dignity. Um, through her grace, we found a different kind of understanding of how to move through black America. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. 
Artist-owned. Listener-supported.